0: Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. You guys good? The mom's Good. Why is it that moms like coming to church on Sundays on Mother Day, but then Father's Day, the dads don't like coming to church? Has anybody solved that one yet? No? All right. Happy Mother's Day. I want to say happy Mother's Day to my wife, the mother of uh, our four children. She's lovely. Her name's Jessica. If you haven't met her, she's wonderful. She's right here. She's awesome. You can say hi to her afterwards if you'd like. And we have four kids, and they are lovely, and I love them so much. And uh, happy Mother's Day to every mother in this place. Uh, Quite the job to be a mom, and I'm really glad I'm a dad. And uh, because I think it's hard, I think it's really hard. I I do. Uh, I had the kids uh, by myself for an hour yesterday with an attempt to buy Jessica gifts with them so they could choose the gifts, you know. This is a good idea, but it wasn't a good idea at the same time, because I only had 45 minutes. And so we tried to do it in between soccer games. We were at Target, so she got coffee or did whatever she wanted to do. And then we went and shopped. Uh, And in that time, I lost Monroe for a little bit. uh, But we found her. uh, And some better parents brought her over to me. So that was exciting times. And then we spent way more than we needed to, because how do you say no to a kid that's going to cry if you don't get all nine things you picked for mom? That none of them are really that cute, you know? But no, they, they gave it all their heart, and they loved it. And they picked them, you know? And that was cool. So Monroe picked all pink things, including like Febreze refill cartridges and those little plug-ins, pink ones. We don't even have a Febreze cartridge like that. It was wonderful. And so today I'm actually going to be preaching on uh, self-care versus uh, sacrificial generosity uh, and the tension between uh, you know the self and others and, and how we balance this, this giving path, uh, but also how we learn to have rest and self-care. Uh, and it's going to be a large emphasis on, on, on that skill or on that partnership with God. The beautiful thing about God is that Uh, rest and work are both a part of who he is. Uh, And so you can see this in Genesis 2, 2 through 3, when on the seventh day he rested. Uh, And from all his work that he had done through the six days of creation, and so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So I love this about God, is that in his image and in his character, there is both hard work and the creation of work, uh, and there is also rest. And so we're going to talk about those things today. We're going to learn, hopefully today, how we identify rest in God. Uh, And so you're not going to really see a lot of the term self-care in the Bible or in Scripture in those exact terms, but you will find uh, peace. You will find rest. You will find these elements. So we're going to learn about these things today. We're going to uh, explore those today, because it is a, a message and a sermon for moms, but not uh, it, uh, just for moms. Uh, I think in uh, momming, there's a lot that this can uh, really aid the journey, because the job seems to never be done, uh, and the work never seems to be over, uh, as uh, my wife tells me, and, uh, and so it, I, I, uh, I think that there's a lot that we can learn in God about these places of work and these places of rest. So that's going to be our heart in this moment as we go through scripture is to identify how we rest with the Lord, how we access true places of peace. And I want to start in 1 Kings 19, 4 through 8. And this is uh, picking up at the place with Elijah where he uh, just got done having a really amazing victory and calling down fire from heaven. And uh, he gets threats from Jezebel and then, in verse 4, it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And so I, what's really nice about this is a hero of the faith, a hero in the word in the Bible, has this moment of not wanting to live anymore uh, and has a moment of recognizing in his emotions, he feels like he's not any better than the generations that came before him. Despite his efforts to transcend that standard, he doesn't really feel like he has. And I found this really relatable to one, after a victory and after a place of like, oh, we've done a lot of work, to feel disappointed, to feel like a failure, to feel like it was all for naught, uh, and to feel like at the worst of my emotions, like I don't even know if I'm any better Uh, than the generations that came before me, despite my best efforts. And how many of you guys can appreciate this struggle right here? The struggle being like, I think I lost. I think I took a big life L uh, and a big generational one as well. Uh, And that's frustrating because I had a lot of hopes to be better than those things. So we see this place of despair. We see this place for Elijah. And it's a really interesting antidote that takes place in direct response to this state. It's not what you might think. It's not what necessarily took place right before that with big, glorious, God-outpouring fire stuff. But actually, the remedy for this place was, and I'm going to paraphrase the next verses here uh, because we're going to jump to some other ones as well, but an angel came and, and, and fed him. And had him sleep two different times. Arise and eat, and he fed him and had him sleep. Fed him and had him sleep. So he ate and drank and slept. Ate and drank and slept. This is not a glorious spiritual exercise. Uh, This is not some kind of magnificent church encounter moment. This is not some kind of amazing uh, festival of God. This is a very simple, basic self-care response to disappointment to perceived failure, to maybe even depression or suicidal things. Biblically speaking, there is a lot of patterns we'll find that the antidote or the recipe to respond to these places of despair is sometimes a really simple response. Eating, drinking, and sleeping. These are not complicated or glorious measures, but they are vital. To the care for self that will allow us to have the strength to continue to journey with God. And if we neglect these things, there are consequences to this neglect. You see, even in when it talks about on the six days the Lord worked in creation, and on the seventh day he rested, uh, and he made this day holy. There's things that you can only achieve in rest days that you can't achieve in work days. There's a pace. And there's a busyness to getting things done and achievement that don't allow for some of the things that God needs to do and wants to do in your life in terms of growth, transformation, and healing. Uh, Busyness does not do a great job of allowing you and I to be healed. Uh, uh, Achievement doesn't do a great job of us meeting the Lord in the valley places, in the shadow of death. Uh, And coming to the conclusion that even in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And there's a different conclusion. There's a different part of God that we get to experience in rest. That we get to experience in stillness. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Now, there's things that we can't achieve in rest that we must achieve in the six days of creation and work. Absolutely. But there's things and there's a reason why God made that seventh day holy is that when it comes to us becoming like God in character, the rest days are a greater asset to us than the work days. They cultivate the holiness of God in a better way than the work days do. You may start to think of the six days as the, uh, the fruit of what you actually find in holiness with God on those rest days. So you produce in those six days what you found on the day of holiness and the day of rest With God but now this begins to paint a bit a different picture of rest it's not just the act of not doing anything Uh, it's not just the act of wasting time and being slothful or lazy right because that's how sometimes we think about it but if you really understand the image of God's rest uh, and self-care in the Bible then we'll actually begin to see a different vision of it than one that's just not doing something but in fact there's an activity to rest with God that is extremely productive to speak to those of us that might flirt with workaholism. Anybody in here want to confess that right now? You might think I'm looking at you like I know, but I promise I'm just happenstance, you know? And if anything, I I would tell you that I have to be very mindful of the amount that I work, because I have some generational things that would say that it is very much easy for us to work and then work And then when we're tired, work more, because that'll help. So there's some enemies of rest that we have to identify. And what are these enemies of rest that we'll find throughout the Word? Let's take a look at them, and let's let's truly understand for our own life what the enemy of rest is to your life. Remember, this is not a vision of not doing anything. It's a vision uh, that is in God's heart. It's a vision of holiness being cultivated. It's a vision of posture. And so we'll see, fear and anxiety is one of them, sin or disobedience is another one, and isolation is the third one. So we're going to identify and we're going to challenge these three things that are actually the enemies of rest, the enemies of self-care. And so when we look in the Word, we'll see in Philippians uh, 4, 6 through 8, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, And supplication is defined as the act of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. So it says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to stop there. Because what we begin to see here is we begin to see that Uh, It's important for us to address anxiety. When you and I have anxiety, it makes us, it's a real challenge and it's a real enemy of rest in God. Uh, I don't know about you, but in my personal experience, when I try and take a break and take a day or two to rest and recover, if I have anxiety pressing on me, that day of rest is not rest. That's two days of rest is not rest. If I try and do it for seven days in a row, I will not have rest because there's an anxiety that is robbing me of energy, that is robbing me of peace. So true rest and the true vision of rest with God will be one that has fear destroyed, vanquished, and or resolved so that we can truly enter in to his rest. So now there's some terms that we've created for fear being dispelled, and I want to address those things. For some of us, we can't rest until we solve the thing that is causing us fear or anxiety. And for others of us, we can't rest until we've come up with a solution, even if we didn't solve it or get it done yet, at least we know what to do once we're done resting. And so we've got terms for some of us to leave fear. We need to have a solution or we need to, at the very least, come up with the idea on how we're going to fix it at some point. But here's the interesting thing about what the Bible says about how to handle fear. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So it's, uh, it's coaching us, it's teaching us posture. In a place of anxiety, here's what you do, is you bring it to God. You bring it to God through prayer and supplication. So there's an earnestness that comes in this place in Philippians 4, 6. It doesn't just say, hey, throw it up to God in a prayer on a quick as you continue your anxious day. What it's saying is lean into the Lord and press into this prayer and this conversation with God. Bring Him your anxiety. Bring Him your fear. Uh, Because if you and I truly want to have active rest and productive rest, then it looks like us bring our fear to him before we enter into that place. Because fear and anxiety becomes a great enemy of rest. Not many people explore or experience rest in a full way when anxiety and fear is pressing on them. And this is why in this place of prayer and supplication, it says, says, look, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts your minds in Christ Jesus it doesn't say he'll fix your situation it doesn't say he'll give you the wisdom and then you'll get the peace it says the peace of God will surpass your understanding and this is important that we allow God to bring peace even when there isn't a remedy yet you and I can access peace and leave fear even without a solve even without breakthrough we can access peace It can go beyond our understanding if we will allow ourselves to experience peace and then rest. If we'll allow ourselves to go beyond that understanding, this is a tough thing for pragmatic, solution minded folks. Um, They will not allow peace to come until they've figured it out. I can relate to this because that's me. I can relate to this. You got to like brew on this thing and you got to write stuff and you got to solve it, and you got to get this equation done, uh, and then we can have peace. Once my atmosphere and situation has been remedied, my, Jess and I, we talk about this a lot, how hard and challenging it is to find peace when things around you are not settled. But it's the peace of God which surpasses understanding. It is not limited to finite solutions or to atmosphere or to situations. If you will allow it, God can establish a peace that is not at all submitted to your situation. In fact, it's greater than your understanding and situation. So you and I can access peace even when situationally it shouldn't yield peace. Is that good? You guys like that? Does that help? Does anyone disagree? No, <laughs> that would be fun to just go for it. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I am your God. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So it begins to illustrate the role that God has with us. He strengthens us, he helps us, and he upholds us. So the presence of God really ought to be a fear eliminator. And this is clear, we see it in the perfect love casts out all fear. As it talks about in the Word, we should actually recognize that the presence of God will be an expellent to fear. It will be if this, then that. If God is present in love, then fear will have to go. It is a very natural remedy to fear, allow God to be present and establish peace and love, allow him to establish it. It will vanquish the fear. It will eliminate the fear, it will drive out the fear. Uh, So here's where the challenge comes. Some of us have actually become persuaded by the power uh, and the lies that fear says or carries. Fear has been, at different points in my life, a great motivator for success. And so at one point, I considered it a great friend of mine. Fear the loss, and you will have spikes of energy that will help you not lose. And so if you're not careful, you'll actually become best buds with fear. And then on the other hand, on Sundays, you'll be like, God, I'm tired of this fear. Please take it out of me. And then he, he drives it out. And then, and then on Monday, you pick it back up because it's how you work hard. Because at any given point, you can put the old man back on. You can grab a hold of the old self. That's why it talks about in Colossians, to put it off. Because you have the power to go between new man, new creation things, and then to return to old man tendencies. You have that power in simple choice. So you're really going to learn, and I'm going to learn as we go along with the Lord, that true rest means us buying in to the character of God more than we do the productivity of my former humanity. sweet. Okay, cool. Which brings up obedience and alignment with God. The second thing that can be a great enemy of rest is sin and disobedience. And this becomes an interesting one. Have you ever told a young person they're being rebellious? Did it help them? Right. It just spikes it, right? It just spikes it. It just takes it. It's really challenging. So Here's the interesting thing, Hebrews 3.7. I want to jump there because I want us to understand this thing here. And so a lot of us aren't young people anymore, right? Or or, uh, in our youth, the teen years or young adult years. But for some of us, we're experiencing spiritual rebellion and or misalignment with God. And we can't enter, enter rest because of that reality. So in verse 7, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice... First and greatest thing, if you're listening to my voice right now, if you want to know whether or not you are hard of heart or rebellious, try and hear it directly from God. If a friend tells you, it's likely not to be great and well-received. If a parent tells you, it may even be worse. It's really hard for us to hear from another person that we are hard-hearted and rebellious and we are in sin. But if you can hear it from God, I find it goes better. Because here's the thing we can't do to God. Yeah? You think I'm in sin? Well, why don't you take a look at your life and see all the sin you're in? And almost any person we can do that to. Because every person's got flaws and things that you can sparse and pick apart, and you could just battle till the end of time, and we're all a bloody mess. But when God tells you, and you try and tell Him what's wrong with Him, You're like, no, not that either. And so it's important that we have a direct voice of God speaking into our life when it comes to us recognizing whether or not we are hard of heart. It's important, right? And so if you're lacking rest, take a look at your alignment with God. Take a look at your yieldedness to God. Take a look and see if your life is submitted to God. Because we'll see here, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, whether your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Sometimes rest is evasive to us because we are out of alignment. We are not yielded to God. It was a simple thing for the Israelites. They did not enter as rest because ultimately they bought into the narrative of fear that the ten spies carried when they went into the promised land and they saw the threat to their life, the giants in the land. And they perceived the giants in the land as greater than they were, for they were a little small compared to the giants and they just never imagined in their own understanding how this could work out for them. And so their hearts were hardened that even though God said this, they analyzed this and then acted out of their analysis. This is extremely important for us because uh, what is shaping your behavior and what is shaping your steps? If God is the Lord of your life, you will see the fruits of the Spirit in your life if he is not the Lord of your life and you sit in the Lord's seat of your life, then you're going to see the fruits of your life bore out time and time again in cycles. So if the last 10 years of your life, you have not enjoyed the fruit of your behavior, the fruit of your life, you have not found rest, take a look and see if you are submitted to God and he sits on the Lord's seat of your life. Take a look and see, ask him, ask him hey, God, I said this prayer once. It was a salvation prayer. Pastor led me through it. It was a great day. Filled out a card, cried. Pastor prayed for me. It was awesome. I then got baptized after that. Awesome. Amazing stuff. In that prayer, I said, be the Lord of my life. Quick, quick check-in, God, 15 years later. Are you the Lord of my life? Now, God, be honest with me even though I know you have to be honest with me because you are truth and you are the way and you are the life, but I really want to hear this. Like, are you actually the Lord of my life? Who sits on the throne of my life? Is it me or is it you? Is it someone else? Who sits in that Lordship place of my life? Because here in Hebrews the Israelites could recognize that they sat on their own throne. So God recognized the hardness of their heart that comes when you're in a place of sitting on your own Lord's seat. There's a hardness of heart there. There's a rebellion there. And you will not find that true, deep, divine rest while you sit on Lord's seat. Lord's seat, or when God sits on the throne of your heart, that Lord's seat, when he sits there, There's a rest that is evasive to everybody else except those who allow God to sit on that seat. This is deep rest. This is the rest that comes that even though there's things that are greater than you around you, you're not swayed to fear because God sits on the throne and he called you here, he led you here, so my confidence is in God. But if you led yourself there, then you have reason to fear. So when you are your own Lord, you are also your own Savior, your own protector, your own provider. So when you go, hey, listen, I, I, uh, I want to be my own Lord, but I would like God to provide to me in my Lordship. There's a misalignment there. Hey, I would like victory to come while I dictate what the path looks like. So, this is sometimes, so the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So victory does not follow only resisting the devil. Victory follows first submitting to God. For some of us, we're like my way, God's power, my victory, please. Submit to self, resist devil. Victory, please. Are you guys tracking with me right now? Because this is a problem, right? is we want God's power in our way sometimes, and those two things do not mix well. Those two things don't work together. You yield to God, and you are supplied with the grace and the power to overcome the enemy as a result of the submission. So what becomes a great enemy of rest, what becomes a great enemy of rest is not being aligned with God, not being submitted to God, not being yielded to him, or take just a close look, is there sin that thrives in your life in a habitual way? If there is sin that thrives in your life in a habitual way, take the fullness of your life and yield it to God. The reason we take the fullness of our life and yield it to God, even when we just find a part of us that is overcome by sin, is because it's really hard for you and I to know The full picture of sin and why it thrives uh, by just taking a part of it so you yield the whole thing to God you give your whole life to God and he burns up all of the things that need to be burnt up so if you find one string of sin give him the whole plant right if you find one branch where you're like I don't like that branch take the whole plant and give it to him like here's my whole life God I don't know where this thing starts. I don't know where it ends. I don't know what it's poisoned. I don't know what it's affected. So here's what I'm going to do. You said on the seventh day you made it holy, so I'm going to take this seventh day, and I'm going to be in a process of actively giving you all of my life on those days. So you can make holy all of this. Exodus 18, 18 through 19 speaks to isolation and the way that's an enemy of rest. And this is, uh, this is Moses' father-in-law giving him advice, right? And he says, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. So we see if Moses' father-in-law right here begins to speak to this effort that we have to do things alone and to rely on our own strength, to rely on our own methods, to rely on our own tendencies, there's this independence that can kick in with us. And this, this expression of pride is a very damaging expression when it comes to us trying to access rest. I don't know if you can relate to this enemy of rest in your life, but the tendency for us to isolate in work usually has us so overwhelmed with the work that it doesn't allow for any time of rest. And I know the lies that speak in our hearts about why we isolate and why we don't allow others to help, and almost every single one of them I've come up with or I've heard from others were simply the lies of arrogance and pride. When I first got here to the mountain, Jess and I, we, uh, it was for me, I, I don't know, you maybe the same? Maybe you tell me if it was the same for you. I struggled to accept help from people. I sh- man, it was a struggle. If somebody's like, hey, how can I help? I would be like, uh, I got it. <laughs> and you just, in your head, you're like, ah, I'm not so sure about this, you know? Uh, I don't want people to have it. You know, there's some trustings there and some challenges there. So everything in my head seemed like a better idea for me to just do it, you know? Uh, it's easier this way, you know? And you tell yourself lies like that, right? Oh, it's just easier when I do it myself, you know? I don't have to describe it to somebody else. I don't have to watch them mess it up and do it in a way that's not good, you know? I would have done it better. Uh, and so I believe these lies initially when I first got here. It's like, I can't accept help. I just got to do it myself. Do you relate? A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. So when I first got here, this was a challenge, right? And there's this lie of isolation. It's like, I got to do it myself, you know? I can't accept help from anybody. It took a lot of effort to receive love from people, to receive gifts from people, to receive generosity from people, and or partnership from people. It took a lot of work to break up these walls of isolation and these perceived safe measures of individualism. So here's my encouragement to you in this thing. You and I were not designed to do this thing alone and, and you, could, you could study it all throughout the Word. Ephesians 4 speaks to this five-fold dynamic uh, all throughout the Word. You're not going to find a scripture that says, isolate, it'll go better for you. You're not going to find any scriptures that point to island mentality. You're not going to point to any of these things that are like, you know what? Alone is better than together. The dangers of together, the risk of friendship and relationship and love, all of these things are accounted for in our effort to do it with others. Like God addresses all of the messiness of community uh, through forgiveness, through reconciliation. He addresses all of these things because when we come to the conclusion as an individual that it's better off that I don't do it with anybody else, this is a lie that the enemy thrives in. Isolation is a lie that the enemy thrives in. And we've got to understand this about ourselves, is that when we begin to buy into the notions and the lies that lead us to places of anxiety, that lead us to places of being the Lord of our own life and taking control again of our life, or that lead us to the places of isolation, we've got to recognize these things as lies and authors of chaos, and they're going to be robbers and enemies of God's rest. That's vital for our transformation that's absolutely critical for our growth. So there's some litmus tests that you can put in place. When was the last time you saw yourself truly grow in Jesus? Has it been days, months, years, decades? Have you been stale for a shocking amount of time in your assessment? If you've been stale for a shocking amount of time in your assessment, you might wanna take a look at how you relate to fear how you relate to isolation, and how you are submitting to God or not submitting to God. Take a look at who's sitting on the Lord's seat of your life, on the throne of your life, you might say. Take a look at how you've related to anxiety. Take a look at how you've related to fear. And take a look at if you've given yourself permission to recognize a Sabbath, to recognize a rest. It's not about doing nothing. It's actually about finding peace in God in that day. For those of us that have seen that day of rest as something that I just can't afford to do, that have seen those self-care things as something that is just, I don't have time for that. I've got too much responsibility. I've got too much to do. Take a look at the fear that is telling you you don't have time to find rest in God. Take a look at the trust that you have for the Lord. Do you trust God? with the six days of work and the one day of rest. And this isn't one of those things where I start combing through your life, calling you up and asking you if you're recognizing the Sabbath, right? This isn't one of those things where we create accountability system where we police each other into Sabbath recognition. This is not what this is about. This is not about us creating measures where we force each other into rest days. You know, maybe as a spouse or as a couple or as a family, you could have healthy conversation, calling each other into a place of accountability in it. Sure, that's great, Uh, but this isn't about policing one another so that we get to a better place in it. This is about us believing the word of God, buying into its merit, buying into its significance in our life, and saying, you know what, it is worth it for me to yield to this thing, to see the outcome of God in these places, because there is a work that God just will absolutely do in these rest days that are going to be really challenging for you to achieve on the work days. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. In the stillness, in the quiet, in the places of mindfulness and prayerfulness with the Lord, there is a deepening of God's grace. There's a deepening of God's rest that takes place in your life. This is my invitation. This is my, I'm going to provoke it even. I'm going to challenge it. I'm going to encourage it. If you haven't found rest in the Lord in quite some time, address these areas. Address these places. Your responsibilities are meaningful. God sees them. He knows them. Your financial ones, your family ones, your marriage ones. He sees the need of your life. And yet still, he speaks to these places of rest. He speaks to these places, and there's value on them. Have a conversation with God. Hear from Him. If your heart's been hard on these places, hear from Him on these things, and allow Him to teach you not only to stop working, but to find rest. Because there is a difference in just not working and finding rest with the Lord. So take all of the cares and concerns and worries of your life and tell Him, God, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my life. Before I pray with all of us and we all pray together, there's this little thing that I do where is I go to the very extreme of what my fear is lying to me about. So if the Israelites had done this, for example, what would they do? Okay, well, the giants are in the promised land. What's the worst that happens? We walk in there and we believe God gives us the land. Worst that happens is a giant squishes me. improbable, sure, God would never let it happen, sure, but your heart fears it. So you may know God's word, you may know his promises, but your heart might not believe it. So this was where Hebrews is talking about, hey, they didn't enter into the rest, and it talks about the doubt. If you continue to read on this thing, it talks about the doubt that they had over God's word. Your mind can know what God's saying, but your heart could be like, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh, we can't walk into that land, we die. I don't know what you know of this, but giants squish you. This is just what happens, you know? Uh, there's things in my life, like as a pastor. Check this out. So there's very real things about being a pastor. And uh, a lot of people know about them. If you've been a part of church for any amount of time, you know that there becomes this thing with kids at some point. You know, your kids may or may not hate church. They may or may not be super rebellious, or they may or may not be amazing. I, you know, And there's this thing, right, PKs, there's this whole genre. I was a PK, so I know there's this whole genre of books written about PKs. I experienced it. I didn't turn out so bad, but some of the others around me didn't quite make it. So I'm walking down this pastor journey and this pastor process, right? In this land is the giant of what if my kids hate church? Are you tracking me right now? You have your own. Whatever path God is leading you down, you have that version of the thing which is like that giant, which is like, hey, this path looks like certain death. Honestly, this path, hey, you invest like that, we're talking bankruptcy. Better to pinch your pennies in your saving account than to be aggressive about those investments. Hey, better just work a nine to five than start a business. Oh, so much less stress and worry, Ah, you know? And all of a sudden, you begin to buy into what fear's gospel is telling you. It's got to confront these things because the complacency of comfort is not rest. Comfort in our vices and our fear, this is not rest, guys. And so we have to confront these things. I've got to be obedient to God, even if it's really intimidating and scary. I've got to be loving like this, even though if it's really, really scary. I've got to be giving like this, even though I really don't want to. I've got to be with God on this thing, because the alternative is absolutely heartbreaking. And in fact, it is probably the very state of hard-heartedness. And more intimidating to me than anything else is a life that isn't lived with God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. I want this life. I want this life. And I'm told that the Bible tells me that this life comes in residency with God. So I choose to live with God. I choose that, even if it means a, a giant squishes me. And perhaps along the way, if I don't allow fear to haunt me, I could find the wisdom that love brings. I could find the wisdom that love brings to my kids at those different moments where they would learn to hate church, but instead of learning to hate church, they learn to love Jesus. You see, love speaks, and it, it speaks positively to our future. It speaks to redemption. It speaks to connectedness and intimacy with God. Fear speaks to despair and to chaos and destruction. Which oracle are you going to believe about your future? Which prophet are you going to believe about your future? What love says it can bring to your life or what fear says it could bring to your life? Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again,